You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Governor Gary Johnson is a true fiscal conservative. As governor, he reduced the size of government while improving services. He will be an important ally and a critical independent voice in the United States Senate. Those are the words of Rand Paul on Twitter as he endorses Gary Johnson for governor of New Mexico. A very interesting development. You're listening to The Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. This is where we discuss life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is episode 9, I believe, on August uh, 28th, 2018, and we are part of the We Are Libertarians Network. You can get all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com, and this is a new show. You guys have been great about this, but so keep it up. So since it is a new show, I, I'm asking you guys, I'm doing more work. I'm doing an extra hour a day for the listeners, uh, not only for myself, but for the listeners. And as you know, if you're a longtime listener of We Are Libertarians, you know I am the audience and the audience is me. We are one. We're simpatico. Um, so we need to support ourselves. And uh, that is done three ways by you guys. Share on social media that you guys love The Chris Spangle Show or and or We Are Libertarians. Tell your friends. That's really the only way that we grow besides um, some SEO stuff um, and searches. But uh, we, we grow through word of mouth, and you guys are so great about spreading the word, and we retweet you guys when you do it, so please keep that up. Number two, send me an email. I want to know your thoughts. I want to hear what you think about the show. If you have questions, send those to editor at wearelibertarians.com. And number three, join up on our Patreon. Uh, the Patreon is essential to keeping this thing going. Uh, listen, if you get value out of my work every day, you listen to these Beautiful vocal cords blast into your ears. Um, if you get value out of We Are Libertarians, then please become a Patreon member. So it's it's there's no such thing as a free lunch. You know the the device, the mechanisms to put this little MP3 in your podcast player cost money. Uh, the effort that goes into this costs time and money. So if it if you get something out of it. I would I would ask that you contribute at Patreon patreon.com slash we are libertarians or we are libertarians.com slash support. Um, there's all kinds of other ways to support the show. You can go you can donate via P- PayPal on a yearly basis or cryptocurrency or an Amazon link. So every time you buy on Amazon, we get some commission that charges you nothing extra. We're taking it right out of the Washington Post Jeff Bezos Amazon.com coffers so help us out there uh and and many of you have have joined up and i appreciate that and i thank you so much for doing that so big news before we went to the presses here uh, gary johnson was endorsed by senator rand paul of kentucky gary johnson the libertarian candidate dropped out in new mexico I don't know why. I never actually found out why. But And so Gary was drafted to run last minute and is running in New Mexico and is trying to put all the pieces together, I mean, within two months of doing this. It's it's pretty tremendous, uh, a tremendous effort, especially when you're handicapped with his campaign manager, Ron Nielsen, um, who I am not a fan of, but I love Gary Johnson, and uh, I've met him. He is a fundamentally decent person. A little story about Gary. Uh, so I was the executive director of the Libertarian Party of Indiana for four years, from 2008 to 2012, and uh, I got there two weeks before McCain lost and stayed uh, two weeks after Gary Johnson lost. Um, I think I left in December of 2012. And so 
I got to I got to go to the national convention in Las Vegas where Gary was nominated the first time. And he I'm sitting in the back of the room with my state chairman, Sam Goldstein. And we're at the very last table because we don't really care that much. And we're kind of just hanging out in the back with the other misfits that belong to the party. And in walks Gary and his beautiful fiance. I don't know if they're married yet, but she was the fiance at the time. And he's like, oh, hey, can I have a seat with you guys? And I said, sure. Uh, but shouldn't you like be up front? You just got nominated as our presidential candidate. He goes, oh, I don't want to sit up there. I'd rather sit back here with you guys. Ended up sitting between um, Gary and his fiance. I don't know why I ended up between the two of them, um, but I had a great conversation with them both, and I learned he had celiac disease. I'd never heard that before. I didn't know what that was at the time. Uh, so Gary really was a pioneer of all the gluten stuff. He, When he would come through town, we would have to get him Donato's gluten-free pizza because they were the only ones who had the gluten-free option at that time. Um, so... He he just couldn't have been more humble and kind and and all the times that I met him he was just I've worked with some real prima donnas I mean candidates who are running for no no level offices with no resources no name and just think they're the biggest deal you know and here's a guy who has legitimate credentials in the political sphere legitimate credentials as a person legitimate you know in every area of his life he's excelled and so no no. No stank of ego on that guy. He's just a really good dude. Um, so I'm very excited that he is running for the seat, and I hope that he that I I hope that he wins. And I think that it's incumbent on anyone who believes in Gary Johnson winning to get their butt to New Mexico uh, and help out. If not, then donate to his campaign because I think it would be a tremendous, tremendous uh, shock to the system to have a libertarian win a statewide election. And serve in the United States Senate for the next six years, and uh, he has a chance to pull this off. You know, some of the polling has him near. He needs thirty-three percent. He doesn't need fifty. He needs thirty-three. And so, my favorite part about all this is the Libertarian Party there is calling for the Republican to not be the spoiler and drop out of the race and stop stealing Libertarian Party votes, which is hysterical. Um, but. Senator Rand Paul agrees, and you know it, it's going to be a tight Senate. I think I don't think the Democrats will take control of the Senate, but it'll probably be tighter than it is now, which is very tight. I think fifty-three, fifty-two, um, leaning Republican. And when you have an independent-thinking Libertarian as that swing vote, then Gary Johnson becomes the kingmaker of Washington D.C. Anybody over the next six years who is nominated for the Supreme Court goes through Gary Johnson. That means that natural rights will rule the day. Uh, gun rights, if there if there's a divided vote, if there's judicial nominees, if there's anything that is, you know, the ratification of treaties. So you know, look at the health care bill. If uh, it had been Gary Johnson and not John McCain in that seat, then there would be a full repeal of Obamacare. So. I think it is uh, an incredibly exciting prospect that Gary Johnson could be in the Senate, and I'm very pleased to see that Rand Paul agrees and actually threw his weight behind him, because here's the deal. So, Ron Paul, whom we all love, uh, Ron you know, is, is different, and we love him for his quirks, because they're our quirks, but we were fully, and I fully recognize that he's a different, he's a different cat uh, compared to many people in Washington, D.C., 
And he's very tied in with Lou Rockwell, who founded the Mises Institute, which has been... Uh, I, I have a lot of thoughts on Lou the man, but at the end of the day, Lou Rockwell is the person who is responsible for archiving so many of the great resources of the Austrian school of thought and libertarianism itself. Uh, and he's very; t- those two are very tight. And uh, Ron was really tight with uh, Murray Rothbard himself, who, as I think I mentioned on We Are Libertarians at some point, maybe in our bonus episode. He's like on the on the Mount Rushmore of libertarians of the 20th century. So, you know, Ron was very close to those guys. And the there has always been a split between them and the Koch brothers. Uh, because back in the early days, the Koch brothers uh, fell in love with libertarianism and liked what Marie Rothbard said and started the Cato Institute, basically to do what the Mises Institute does now. And eventually they had a falling out, and Murray Rothbard didn't like that the Koch brothers were hiring more Chicago school and other people that uh, were not Austrian economists. And so they had a falling out. And and the Koch brothers, I forget which one, I think it might have been Charles, Charles or David, um, kept his shares of the Cato Institute in his safe and basically like ripped him off and <laughs> stole from him. And th- this has led to... All of the fighting between the Tom Woods and Nick Sarwarks of the world, for instance, all the years of Ron Paul beating up on the Libertarian Party, all the years of these, you know, the the Mises crowd calling anybody they don't like a left libertarian, um, anybody who's not an anarcho-capitalist who doesn't worship Murray Rothbard is, is a left libertarian. That whole split stems from that one incident. And uh, it... You know, Ron Ron Paul came back and ran in '88 as our party, as the Libertarian Party's nominee. And then in 2008, um, Bob Barr was an incredible dick to Ron Paul. Uh, I saw his reasoning; <laughs> he didn't. Uh, so uh, Bob Barr didn't attend a third party presidential candidate uh, press conference that Ron Paul had for, with you know the Constitution Party. I think it was Chuck Baldwin. And uh, Bob Barr was invited, and Cynthia McKinney, who was running on the Green Party. Now, Cynthia McKinney is a socialist, although she now claims anarcho... She's basically an anarcho-syndicalist, the people that everyone's trying to run out on a rail in the Libertarian Party. Uh, sort of where she sort of finds her her uh, home, it sounds like. But I saw her speak at Anarcho-Puco. Anar- Anar- it's like some anarchist thing in Acapulco. Um, and I just don't know how to say the word, but she was, uh, saying she's an anarchist now. Uh, I don't think she said anarcho-capitalist, but forgive me if, if I'm misrepresenting her views, but definitely someone who comes from the left, but has a lot of anti-Semitic 9-11 conspiracy, uh, very, um, you know, Bilderberger, OG Alex Jones type stuff in, in her, her statements and Bob Barr said, I don't want to be put on the same playing field as this person. Because it wasn't like it's cool to be Alex Jones now, right? Like everybody's a little more comfortable with the idea of someone being a conspiracy theorist, it seems like. But back in 2008, that was a death knell. And uh, so he just didn't want to be associated with it. So he didn't go to the press conference. But he didn't even have the courtesy to tell Ron Paul ahead of time that he wasn't showing up. And uh, I think that's incredibly rude. Um, and so Ron Paul just was standing there with his, you know, 
third party in his hands and waiting for everybody to show up uh, from the bar team, and they didn't. Um, you know, and that make campaign was managed by Russ Verney, who was the uh, Ross Perot campaign manager. So the Libertarian Party can't presidential candidates not knocking it out of the park when it comes to uh, presidential campaign managers. So, um, so from that moment on, Ron Paul just refuses to be nice to the Libertarian Party and stokes and actively encourages stoking. Uh, the, the this fight between the Libertarian Party and anybody that's a Libertarian who is not in the party, especially from the Misesian wing of the party. Uh, and that's sort of why you see Nick Sarwark sometimes poke back. Uh, and so he, he grew up in that. He remembers what I remember, which is why I sometimes get a little uh, uppity towards Ron Paul. It's like, I remember like working hard in the trenches and then having... Him and all of his followers tell me what a jerk I am and all this other stuff, and it's just unnecessary in party fighting. So, uh, so to have Rand Paul uh, after basically two it, the last two times Ron Paul Ron Paul and Rand Paul both re, both refused to acknowledge Gary Johnson, let alone endorse him. So to have Rand Paul come out and endorse Gary Johnson and take the slings and arrows of, of his party. You know, obviously, ideologically, they aren't that far apart, but when it comes to political parties, I mean, we had one guy who was going to run for a state house for us. He considered it, and he was a Republican operative, and he's a very libertarian-leaning guy, and he was considering running for state house as a libertarian here locally, and went and asked some people in the GOP locally what they thought. He was done. He had to go work for the worst. He took. He had to take a job that nobody else in the party wanted to do. He had to suck up even harder than he had to previously to get back in the good graces of the party. I mean, they, they really frown on you supporting the Libertarian Party or Independents or anybody that isn't part of their team in a big way. And, uh, you know, and Libertarians have that too. You know, I've seen Sarwark be a little snarky towards Rand Paul even today, and I'm just like, bro, I don't <laughs> I'm just looking at him like, bruh, I don't understand that strategy. Like, could you help yourself? Help us help you. Um, But so Rand Paul endorsing Gary Johnson, considering this history, is really a good step. And there's a lot of things happening in the libertarian movement that I really like. There are a lot of things happening where people who didn't get along are starting to get along. You know, Michael Malice is bringing together people like Matt Welch and and uh, other. Lib- I think Tom Woods. Uh, Tom Woods is you know on the he's being on the he's on the makeup tour all the time. <laughs> so, which is great because at the end of the day, the argument is not between Rothbardian libertarians and Kochian libertarians, Cato libertarians. That is not the argument, and that is the argument that we sometimes have. The argument is not be even between anarcho-capitalists and anarcho-communists or whatever like like at the end of the day do you want to use the force of government to initiate social and political goals or not and if the answer is no then you're not my enemy if your goal is to use the government to solve social and political problems and to force people to do things that they don't want to do then we're going to have a problem. Like we're we're going to have to oppose each other, you know. And that's my problem with John McCain, for instance. Yes, John McCain had some libertarian leaning, small government leaning ideas, but really fundamentally, at the end of the day, 
he thought government was the solution to most of our problems. And so he and I, he and I can't get along politically. We, you know, we can't as people. He seems like a fun guy. Um, so, but uh, the the argument between libertarians is has never made sense to me because at the end of the day, if you're trying to advance liberty, advance libertarianism in your way, using your skills and gifts to advance the message and win people to our ideology, then. Good. If you're doing it the Republican Party, cool. If you're doing it in the Libertarian Party, cool. If you're doing it on a podcast, cool. If you're doing it by running Liberty Memes Facebook page, cool. Like there's th- that is the way that we advance libertarianism. We we start to falter when we start picking on each other. And so I'm very excited to see Rand Paul make this move. Um, you know, he's he's endorsed everybody from Roy Moore to Donald Trump, and, and it never made sense that he wouldn't endorse Gary Johnson or at least give him a nod. So it's it's very nice to see this, and I hope that helps, and I hope the Republican does drop out because then he'll definitely win. So a lot of headlines. I don't know that I'm going to be able to get through all these. Um, Harry's coming over in about an hour, and we're doing We Are Libertarians tonight talking about South Africa, and i got to do my studying and grill my chicken and I, wa- I wanted to go to the gym and do legs tonight but um i'm just not gonna have time i sacrifice everything for you people uh and so i was told last night that i'm not as strong as i was six months ago uh, by someone who would know and uh i just was like well not only am i insulted i'm also depressed now so i'm going to make a habit of getting to the gym uh, i haven't gained weight but definitely lost muscle and uh you know when you're when you're fighting statists, uh, when you're like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, need to be in good shape. Uh, so some of the news stories that caught my eye today: Chinese Communist Party funds Washington think tanks. So the the Chicoms are now funding Washington think tanks, uh, and this is from the Free Beacon. Uh, freebeacon.com. It'll be in the show notes, so you can go check this out for yourself. China's Communist Party is intensifying covert influence operations in the United States that include funding Washington think tanks and coercing Chinese Americans, according to a Congressional Commission report. The influence operations are conducted by the United Front Work Department, a central committee organ that employs tens of thousands of operatives who seek to use both overt and covert operations to promote Communist Party policies. The party's united front strategy includes several uh, paying several Washington think tanks with the goal of influencing their actions and adopting positions that support Beijing's policies. The Chicoms have sought, <laughs> my word, not theirs, has sought to influence academic discourse on China and in certain instances has infringed upon and potentially criminally violated rights to freedoms of speech and association that are guaranteed to Americans and those protected by U.S. law, the report says. Uh, John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins, the the famous hospital, and their think tank on medical policy is one of them. But some of these are really big institutions. These are, these are think tanks that I go to daily looking for policy information because the thing about think tanks is you got to take things with a, with a grain of salt, right? Like, you know that when you're reading the Council on Foreign Relations report, which was, you know, in yesterday's show notes uh, about the war, war, war. I think they titled it "War Wide Web," uh, and and it's basically just about how there is uh, uh, the American 
backed internet is is losing its promise and so we need government to make it great again and so we need government oversight by the americans and possibly the un to to get control of the internet and make sure that it's safe for democracy okay <laughs> no <laughs> that's the exact opposite of internet freedom and so you know that the Council on Foreign Relations, for instance, is probably going to have really good information on and insights on how the diplomacy will unfold on things like the Syria situation. But when they start recommending policy, it's always tilted towards those in power. It's always tilted towards their ideology. It's always tilted towards globalism. It's always tilted towards more government and government control, not individual liberty and self-government. And so... You have to be really careful when you read Brookings and, you know, even American Enterprise Institute, AEI, which is conservative-leaning. Definitely when you read Center for American Progress, the Wilson Center, um, the Atlantic Council. Uh, so these are major institutions that, uh, you know, like Cato, have a lot of really good research on things. And then there's some stuff that is really awful, and it has a certain point of view. But you can get a lot of information by listening to some of their podcasts, you know, watching some of their videos, list, reading some of their studies. You know, it's like the uh, the Bernie healthcare study that we did on We Are Libertarians recently. That was from the Mercatus Institute. So think tanks employ people just to basically research policy and and how things are going to work, and you know, so you can get a lot of good information. But you got, but when Chinese communists are starting to fund this stuff. It's like it's the argument about the Cokes and the Mercatus study. It's like when the Cokes are your major funders, of course they're going to they're going to influence subtly how things are done. I've I've worked for a think tank. I've worked for a board of directors. I've worked for a board of directors that was funded by one person essentially. It was damn near a foundation. Um, but. And so you're always kind of thinking, okay, my work needs to make sure that I make this person happy because they're writing the check. So when the Chinese communists, and it doesn't say in here to what extent, you know, are they sending $500 or are they 10% of the budget? So it doesn't say in here. So you don't know. But listen to the think tanks that are included in this. Johns Hopkins um, the Brookings Institution, the Atlantic Council, the Center for American Progress, East-West Institute, Carter Center, Jimmy Carter, and the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. These are the most influential, you know, you're missing Council on Foreign Relations and RAND Institute. Like, those are the most influential of them all. So, really scary stuff. Uh, this was out yesterday. This time feels really different is the headline from politicalwire.com, one of the best sites on the internet. Uh, in, in the wake of his recent outbursts, White House officials have discussed whether President Trump would listen to his closest New York City friends in an effort to rein him in. Two sources briefed on the matter told me that senior officials talked about inviting Rudy Giuliani and a group of Trump's New York real estate friends, um, including Tom Barak. Uh, Barack, uh, Richard LaFrock, and Howard Lorber to the White House to stage an intervention last week. It was supposed to be a war council, one source explained, but Trump refused to take the meeting, sources said. More than ever, Trump is acting and feeling and, and acting by instinct, said one former White House official. Trump is nuts. This time feels really different. 
Deputy Chief of Staff Bill Shine has privately expressed concern, telling a friend that Trump's emotional state is very tender. Bill Shine uh, ousted by Fox News for a Me Too violation. Uh, so, you know, take that for what it's worth in his credibility. Islamic State claims responsibility for Egypt's Sinai attack, according to Reuters. Islamic State on Sunday claimed responsibility for an attack on an Egyptian police checkpoint in northern Sinai. The group's Amak news agency reported saying 15 soldiers were killed and wounded in what is what it described as an infiltration operation. Uh, ISIS is starting to regroup, and that's something you're seeing consistently in the headlines is that uh, they're getting the band back together. So Trump's farmer bailout bill is going to cost $4.7 billion. Why are we bailing out farmers to the tune of some say 5 some say $6 billion? Because Trump passed tariffs and is basically taxing the economy and they're failing. Uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture announced details Monday of its temporary relief plan to help farmers who have been hit, hit hard by retaliatory, retaliatory tariffs. The department will make up to $4.7 billion available to help offset cost of the trade war. Soybean farmers are expected to receive the bulk of the payments at $3.6 billion. Um, some are saying that this is $6 billion now, according to, that was from Axios, now CNBC uh, out today, saying, with some U.S. farm products getting slammed by retaliatory tariffs, the Trump administration is prepared to start its emergency plan to agriculture starting right after Labor Day in a three-pronged approach that will initially include about $6 billion in aid. The DOA said it in its announcement that it is authorized to provide up to $12 billion, $12 billion in aid to the agricultural industry. On Monday, though, the department said initial aid will consist of about $4.7 billion in payments to agricultural producers of seven commodities, as well as federal government purchases up of up to $1.2 billion in certain commodities, unfairly targeted by unjustified retaliation. They said, uh, third part of the aid will consist up to two hundred million in spending. What was the cost of the stimulus package? Um, let me Google this real quick. Cost of stimulus bill in two thousand and eight. Uh, so that was seven hundred and eighty-seven billion. So that's a lot of money, but still twelve billion dollars. Ain't nothing to sneeze at. I mean, good grief. Talk about uh, talk about fiscal restraint and Republicans. Huh. Um, Bloomberg News reassigned a, and, and notice that there wasn't a bill here that was passed. Uh, it's just the Department of Agriculture handing out six billion dollars. Won't be any corruption in that either. There there isn't a bill in here. The, the Congress didn't seem to pass anything. It's just sounds like the DO, the, the Department of Ag is just handing this money out. Um, so we'll we'll be following that because that's insane. Bloomberg News re- reassigned reporter after Wells Fargo CEO called to complain. A Bloomberg News reporter who covered Wells Fargo was reassigned earlier this year after the bank's CEO called the news organization's editor-in-chief and complained about the reporter multiple people familiar with the matter told CNN. This is from CNN. This is from our buddy Oliver Darcy, who is leading the charge to silence people on the Internet and get them banned and deplatformed. The incident rocked part of the banking team. Uh, So uh, Bloomberg's primary source of revenue, he writes, is selling subscriptions to the Bloomberg Terminal, which cost approximately $20,000 per year. Like most banks and companies in the financial sector, 
Wells Fargo is a significant client. If the bank were to pull subscriptions from the terminal, Bloomberg could lose millions of dollars in revenue. The chain of events was prompted by a story. The reporter, uh, I'm not even going to try, Nasapir, uh, Shahain Nasiri Poor, wrote in March, the story called Wells Fargo the preferred financier for the U.S. gun industry and detailed the bank's relationship with the NRA. Following the publication of that story, Wells Fargo CEO Timothy Sloan sent employees a memo responding to Bloomberg's article. The Wall Street Journal obtained a memo and published a story based on it. And so essentially what happened is this woman wrote an article basically saying Wells Fargo uh, is the bank of the NRA, which is an unnecessary, hostile thing to point out in the first place. And the Wells Fargo CEO targeted her and basically had her reassigned from her job. And so she's no longer covering what she was covering. Now, um, Oliver Darcy, the media reporter at CNN, is taking the slant here that this is a this is a serious issue of journalism, that when Bloomberg starts reassigning reporters by speaking truth to power and power wins, that's troubling. But I'd also say, hey, don't start any mobs. <laughs> who, who, Wells Fargo, and the and they, they, they were unfairly targeted. Uh, so, I don't disagree with what he's saying, but at the same time, like you get the point of the story. The point of the story was to to put pressure on these groups and get Wells Fargo to stop doing business with them. So. But we can't imagine Oliver Darcy would even understand that because he doesn't seem to understand freedom. Facebook bans Myanmar military chief and says it was too slow to act. So Facebook has banned 20 organizations and individuals in Myanmar. Um, and this is the first time that a military or state actor has been banned from the platform, Facebook says. Uh, if you don't know, I mean, what's going on in Myanmar is legitimate genocide and... So I get I get Facebook not wanting to give the ability of the Myanmar government to further persecute and kill people and not wanting to participate in that. So it's a little bit different than political speech. But I do think it is worth noting the first time they start pulling governments off of their platform. Um, and this has been a big problem with them in the Philippines, too, is that, you know, some of the some of the scrape data that they're getting from. Facebook is being used to then target certain dissidents and kill people. And so, um, and Facebook has not acted quickly on it and they've been beaten up for it. Uh, North Carolina ballot measure has the right to hunt and fish on its ballot. And uh, somehow this has become a hot topic in California. The Democrats are mad because of they're like, well, you're just using this to drive out the polls. Uh, and so basically, the North Carolina Republicans put together a, a right to hunt and fish in the North Carolina Constitution and put it on the ballot in November to drive up turnout. <laughs> and I would argue that this is unnecessary, an unnecessary definition of what rights I have or don't have. Um, but that's going on in uh, North Carolina, not to mention you know, your right to a Second Amendment, uh, to, to own a firearm. Iranian regime set to make the case against U.S. regime's sanctions in international court. UPI, uh, United Press International is what UPI is, if you don't know. Iran is basically suing us in the International Court of Justice um, for renewing the sanctions after Trump backed out of the 2015 deal. Uh, the 
Iran's lawsuit against the U.S. is based on a deal signed between the two countries 60 years earlier, the 1955 Treaty of Amity, of Amity Economic Relations and Consular Rights. Um, and RationalReview.com, uh, edited by uh, Thomas Knapp, who I, I get a lot of prep from, and I really like what he does. So go check out RationalReview.com. Um, and uh, he writes, let's see, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action is not a deal between the two nations. It was originally a deal between Iran and six other nations, and it was then codified as a UN Security Council resolution, which Trump now has power to back out of, short of withdrawing the U.S. from the UN itself. The U.S. did not leave the JCPOA. It is just violating the JCPOA. So those are some of our news stories for the day uh, here on Undercovered News where we try to give you the stories that the mainstream media is not covering. I bet you didn't hear we were being sued by Iran. I bet you didn't hear uh, most of these stories. Um, so, And you can submit links if you think there's something that is not being talked about that needs exposure. WeAreLibertarians.com. Look for the undercovered news article at the bottom. Uh, the Chris Spangle Show posts almost every day, depends on, on my life and workload, uh, will have these stories and many, many, many more. So make sure that you go to wearelibertarians.com or get our email newsletter sent to you every day with um, you know, the, the links to the shows. But if you check out the Chris Spangle Show of post on wearelibertarians.com, it's got all kinds of news stories, not just these, but many, many others. So you can go and check that out, see what tickles your fancy, add it to your Instapaper, read it later. Uh, so check that out. Always trying to serve our listeners and give you your money's worth. And if you're not paying, then please, patreon.com slash Libertarians. Uh, we appreciate what you guys do for us, uh, all of you Patreon members, and the thousands who listen. Thank the 125 who donate. I'm not trying to shame you people, but, uh, you know. All right, thanks for joining us here on the show, and uh, we'll see you tonight on We Are Libertarians, and then I will see you in this feed tomorrow here on The Chris Spangle Show.